We're going to be looking at Amos again today. Well, we have been studying Amos, and I hope it's been helpful to you. I know that there are a couple people who are coming into the, at the very tail end of Amos today, and I hope that, uh, that this will still be encouraging to you, even though you've missed some of what's gone before. My plan is that this will be our final sermon in Amos. And so, I want to remind you of where we've been. God is a roaring lion who judges, punishes, and destroys prideful, sinful nations. Sin is willful disobedience against God. And God warned the people of the Northern Kingdom. He warned them through famine, plague, and war. And yet they did not return to Him, even with those clear warnings. And we are told that we should speak the truth in love. Speak. And it's got to be the truth. And it's got to be in love. All three are required. Speaking the truth in love. God invites us to seek Him and live. And seeking Him and live means we uphold justice. It means we do not take advantage of the poor. And if we don't uphold justice and we take advantage of the poor and then we worship God, that is false worship. And we have learned in Amos that false worship of that kind is detestable to God. Let justice roll like a river. Amos 5, 24. And then last week we learned that there is great danger in complacency and pride, both in individuals and in a nation. And so today, after all of those difficult words, we're going to try to wrap up the book of Amos. And all of that that I just said was Amos chapter 1 through 6. But if you look in your Bible, there's nine chapters in Amos. We're doing three chapters today. Yeah, oh, hushed silence. Pain. The reason we're doing this today is because it fits together. If I were to chop it up, it would lose its impact. So we're going to do it. Lord, as we open up your word, as we prepare to read this last part of the prophet Amos, we need to hear from you, God. It can't be us. It's got to be you. So speak to us now, Lord, we ask. Holy Spirit, help us to take your word and not only understand it for what it was then, but to apply it for who we are today. Amen. All right. Are you ready? Amos chapter seven through nine. I'm gonna. I I, I tried to figure out what these what these three chapters were, and the closest analogy that I could come up with was a roller coaster. So get ready. Get ready. A little bit of background, very quickly. 
It is likely that the first six chapters of Amos, so all of the stuff in Amos that we've been into up to this point, all took place in the city of Samaria. Samaria was the capital city, the, the, the city where the king of the northern kingdom of Israel ruled. Now, I'm not going to go into the details, but I do want you to notice that almost all people who have studied Amos believe that Amos preached in Samaria for chapters 1 through 6, but then he moved to Bethel. Bethel was a different place in the northern kingdom. So Samaria was the, the, the like Washington, D.C., right? It was the, the capital. But then he moved to Bethel. Bethel was the spiritual headquarters of the northern kingdom. It's where the, one of the temples was. In fact, the most prominent temple in the northern kingdom was in Bethel, along with the high, highest priest that was in the northern kingdom. Okay? So, first six chapters, Samaria, and then he moved, and we think the last three chapters were him preaching in Bethel. Now, the reason I'm telling you that is because these last three chapters, there's quite a bit of repetition from the first six. Now, you're gonna, I want you to be looking for the repetition, but I want you to understand why the repetition is there. Obviously, number one, repetition is good, it helps us to learn. But there's a very practical reason, number two, for the repetition. He's talking to a different audience. He's in a different place. Alright? So just be looking for some of the repetition, because what he says to this new audience is going to cement what the issues are in the book of Amos. And that will help us understand more if you get what's going on there. Fair enough? Listen for that repetition. And especially listen for the scathing rebuke that Amos gives to the rich people on the way that they were causing the poor to suffer. Now the second thing I want you to notice, and this is what holds the whole thing together and why I'm doing so much in one chunk. This is different. This last three chapters are, are significantly different than the first six. The thing that makes them different is that God gives Amos five separate visions. These last three chapters are the five visions that God gives to Amos, and we're going to try to go through those visions very quickly, and, and I'm going to try to help you and help us understand what the purpose of those visions are for these people and what it means to us today. Is that okay? So now you know what we're doing, you know the parameters, you know uh, how much we're going to do. And I'm not going to say a lot about these because the visions kind of speak for themselves, so I don't need to like go into some big, long explanation like I needed to with some other stuff. Alright, here we go. Amos chapter 7, verses 1 through 6, we're going to look at the first two of the five. So the first two of the five visions. Amos chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. This is what the Sovereign Lord showed me. He was preparing swarms of locusts after the king's share had been harvested, and just as the second crop was coming up. When they had stripped the land clean, I cried out, Sovereign Lord, forgive! How can Jacob survive that is so small? So, the Lord relented. This will not happen. The Lord said. Now the second vision. 
This is what the Sovereign Lord showed me. The Sovereign Lord was calling for judgment by fire. It dried up the great deep and devoured the land. Then I cried out, Sovereign Lord, I beg you, stop! How can Jacob survive? He is so small. So, the Lord relented. This will not happen either, the Sovereign Lord said. Okay, the first two visions. Now just as a reminder, here's what God showed to Amos. He showed him a vision of locusts and a vision of fire. And the locusts came and they destroyed the crop. And he even says when they destroyed the crop. It was after the king's harvest and just as the second crop was coming up. So the first crop had been harvested and given to the king. The second crop was just sprouting and that's when the locusts came. Do you know what that means? It means all of the farmers just lost not only their food supply, but their seed for the next crop to be able to get a food supply in the future. It's like the worst thing that could happen would be a swarm of locusts right then, when the tender shoots are up. Even a week or two before would be okay, because they would have been not up yet, right? Or even a week or two after, they might be able to survive. But right then is the worst time. And so, Amos asks God to relent. Amos prays. Now, there's a, this is a specific type of prayer. This is a prayer of intercession. Amos says, please God, please relent. Please stop. Please. And then, some of the most powerful words in Scripture. So, the Lord relented. That is important. For all that I've said, for all that we've said together as we've gone through Amos, I need you to understand. When godly people pray, there is the possibility of God relenting from sending judgment. Did you hear what I just said? There is something powerful that happens in the heavenly realm that affects the earthly plane when people who love God pray an intercessory prayer. Now I've got to just I've got to just say something here. If you look at our prayer concerns. There's, there is good things that happen when people of God pray for healing. But I need you to notice something. We've got to be super careful. Okay? Because a prayer list that only has requests for healing of sickness of the saints is problematic. Do you understand why that's problematic? Because according to Amos... One of the things we're supposed to be about is praying for people outside the church. And we're not just supposed to be praying for people outside the church that they might get well from being sick, but that God might relent in their destruction. How come we don't have that on our prayer list? Now this is just as much on me as you, maybe more as the leader. 
I haven't said to you. You know when you do the, the little insert thing and put your prayer request on the back? You know what I haven't said? I haven't said, why don't you put a prayer request for someone who is an enemy of the church? Why don't you put a prayer request for someone who is not saved? Why don't we do prayer requests like that hardly ever? Why are we praying for people that aren't saved? Here's one. Why are we praying for people that are on the other side of the political stance? Why are we praying for people that disagree with us? Why aren't we the intercessors? Now, of course, this goes back to the sermon that I gave not too long ago about shalom, right? We are the recipients of shalom, peace. But it's like more than peace. If we have received shalom from God, and we know that people who don't know God do not receive God's shalom, then if there is a lack of peace, that's on us. Because they don't have it. Do you understand that? The, the, the people who will bring shalom into a conversation will not be the ungodly. It will only be the ones who have received shalom from God. So if there's division and strife and anger and all of those things, we can't possibly expect people that don't know God to bring that peace in. It's on us. I kind of thought there'd be an amen there. You guys are just digesting. You're digesting. You guys, I'm concerned about our prayers. Not that it's bad to pray for these things. Of course it's not bad to pray for these things. How come we don't have anything else on here? How come we don't have an intervention? The closest thing we do is the war. I've, I've been having the war in Ukraine out there. And I, I had a Bible verse, Ezekiel 33, 11. That's a Bible verse that's directed toward Vladimir Putin. Have you read it? Have you even looked it up? Is anybody even using this? We need to pray about more than just Aunt Sally's hangnail. Now, of course, the prayer requests on there are all big deals. Don't get me wrong. So I'm, I'm using exaggeration. But you understand what I mean. We can pray for, for physical healing, and it's good to pray for it, but here's a fact. Anybody want to know a fact? We're all going to die! Okay? So, I mean, at some point, we've got to get out of just praying for that and start praying for eternal things. Is anybody with me? We are the intercessors. We are the ones who can intercess for this country, for these people who we disagree with, in such a way that we might get to a point where we read something like, So the Lord relented. I've been suggesting to you that the structure of our culture and our country is in danger of the judgment of God because of the parallels I see with Amos. I've been suggesting to you, as a possibility, that COVID might have been God's work to wake up our country. Now, I don't know if it was or not. I don't have God's complete mind on this whole thing. It may not have been. But man, does it look the same? Does it? I mean, the, the particulars look the same between the people that Amos was speaking to and us. God is the one who can do these things. We are the ones who can intercede. We are the ones who can bring peace. We are the ones who can make and God relented. 
happen for our country? How much are you praying for those you disagree with? How much are you praying for those who are way off, so far away from biblical understandings of morality that you can't even hardly see where they're at? Are you praying for them? Are you interceding for them? And now the third vision. Amos chapter 7, verses 7 through 9. Third vision. This is what the Lord, this is what he showed us. The Lord was standing by a wall that had been built true to plumb, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord asked him, What do you see, Amos? A plumb line, I replied. Then the Lord said, Look, I am setting a plumb line among my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. The high places of Isaac will be destroyed, and the sanctuaries of Israel will be ruined. With my sword I will rise against the house of Jeroboam. Now, the first and the second visions, I think you could say, you could see that they were parallel, couldn't you? You could see that that means like repetition. Very similar. Now we've got this third vision, and I'm going to tell you that the third vision and the fourth vision go together if they're in parallel. But I haven't read the fourth vision yet to see why I'm home. The plumb line. The plumb line of Amos. Now, if you've never been a contractor, you don't know what a plumb line is. A plumb line is very simple. I could have Dave come up here and he can show me or Nate. It's a string with a weight on the bottom. Usually a little piece of metal and it has to be non-magnetic. It's a string with a weight and the little weight, you hold it like this, the weight's on the bottom, and you wait for it to stop moving. And when it stops moving, that's plumb. Now the purpose of a plumb line is to know which way is straight down. So that when you're building a wall, a lot of times mortar and brick, when you're doing that, it doesn't get crooked. Right? Because sometimes when you're building a wall, and you know, you put mortar in and all that kind of stuff, uh, you, you kind of get out of sorts, especially if the ground itself is like not even, you know what I'm saying? And so you think you're building it straight, but it turns out you're just building up the hill. Right? You know what I'm saying? The plumb line, using gravity, helps you know, oh yeah, that way straight down, so then you can figure out what's exactly 90 degrees. Dave, did I do that okay? So, that's a plumb line. Plumb lines are not a new invention, obviously. <laughs> okay, this is uh, from 2,700 years ago. So what is God saying here? God is saying, I am the one who sets the plumb line. Can I translate that, please? Though people think they know what is right in their own minds, if they haven't measured it against me, it's crooked. Whatever wall you build that is not built with the plumb line of God is crooked. It's crooked. When God said he was setting a plumb line among his people, he was declaring an end to their attempts to justify their crooked ways. The Lord was setting the standard. God does not negotiate his laws. He does not change with the whims of culture. God 
is God. It is God upon which we figure out which way is straight. Now let me translate that into what's going on all around us. We are living in a culture that is telling us, what's true for me is true for me, but what's true for you is true for you, and that's okay. False. There is only the moral standard as set by the God of the universe who created it all. That's what Christians are saying. There is not a truth that exists only in your head as your opinion. There is only truth that comes from the plumb line of God himself. Now there's a phrase I used to say all the time, I haven't said it as much, but I think it applies here. People think that their opinion is truth. Can I tell you what your opinion is worth? Your opinion is worth poop in a bag. And so is mine. So is mine. We've been telling people, and we, we're telling kids all the time, what you say is so important. It's just we, we value so much what you say. I think what we mean to say is we value them. But what, we do value them. But what we have gotten confused in this next generation is that what they say not only is value, but it's true. A lot of things people say might be valued, but it sure isn't true. You want to know where the moral standard for truth is? The plumb line of God. It is God who sets the plumb. It is God. If your wall is not based upon God's plumb line, it's crooked. And now God in this third vision has said, the northern country of Israel, the northern kingdom, is crooked. And God says, did you notice there's a difference between the first two visions? You notice what God said? In the first two visions, he said, God relented, I will spare them. In this vision, Amos doesn't pray. And God says, I will spare them no longer. Now, why doesn't Amos pray? I mean, wouldn't it be right to pray? Well, the answer is because God has made the case. He's made the case, hasn't he? They are crooked. And I will spare them no longer. And not only will I not spare them, but then he names the king. The last word, the last word of the vision in verse 9. With my sword I will rise against the house of Jeroboam. They have earned their destruction. Wow. Our culture today continues to find justification for its actions and motivations from sources other than God. Did you hear that? Our culture today continues to find justification for its actions and its motivations from sources other than God. You are building a wall without the plumb line. That's where our culture is right now. A wall that's built without a plumb line. Can I suggest to you that you need to be careful when listening to arguments, both political and otherwise, in which God is not the standard of moral authority? Did you hear that? If you are listening to arguments, both political and otherwise, in which God is not the standard of moral authority, 
And now something interesting happens. We've had three visions. But now in Amos chapter 7, we've got a vision. Uh, we've got three visions, and then something happens here in the next few verses. Take a look at this. Something different than a vision. Verse 10. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethlehem, sent a message to Jeroboam, king of Israel. Now, I just want to pause there. Amos is at Bethel, preaching at the highest temple of the northern kingdom. He has now gotten the attention of the high priest of the temple. And the high priest of the temple has decided, well, you said a lot of yucky stuff, but as soon as he brought up the king's name, now the high priest sends a message to the king. Maybe the king needs to know what this Amos guy is saying. So here's what he says. <clears throat> Amos is raising a conspiracy against you at the very heart of Israel. The land cannot bear all his words, for this is what Amos is saying. <clears throat> Jeroboam will die by the sword, and Israel will surely go into exile away from their native land. Then Amaziah said to Amos, Get out, you seer! Go back to the land of Judah. Earn your bread there and do your prophesying there. Don't prophesy anymore at Bethel, because this is the king's sanctuary and the temple of the kingdom. <laughs> Amos has gotten the attention of the powers that be. And in that attention, the powers that be have decided, get out of here! We got no point in listening to your garbage. Because you can't, you can't stand here and say that the king's going to be killed. You can't say that at the temple. <laughs> and besides that, this priest has decided that Amos is just there earning money. Did you see that? Amos is just there earning money. So go back to Judah. Go back to the southern kingdom and earn your money down there from your false prophecies. <laughs> what do you suppose Amos' response is going to be? Ooh, Amos does not mince words. And his response that we're about to read, it's even harsher than you think it's going to be. Here we go. Look at verses 14 through 17. Amos answered Amaziah. Oh, this is good stuff. You're going to like it. I was neither a prophet nor a prophet's son, but I was a shepherd, and I also took care of sycamore fig trees. So in other words, I'm not, I'm not a prophet. I'm not here to make money on this prophecy. I was doing great without the prophecy. Okay? So, the point number one, false. I'm not here to read money. But the Lord took me from tending the flock and said to me, Go prophesy to my people Israel. Now then, hear the word of the Lord. You say, do not prophesy against Israel, and stop preaching against the house of Isaac. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. Now, this is a little wrong. Your wife, he's talking to the high priest. Just throw that out. This is the high priest. Okay? Your wife will become a prostitute in the city. And your sons and daughters will fall by the sword. Your land will be measured and divided up, and you yourself will die in the pagan country. And Israel will certainly go into exile away from their native land. Okay. I guess he's going to stick around. <laughs> That is a that is that is a that's a harsh message. Amos is not going to say, "Oh, Amaziah, you're right. I should just go back to Judah." No, 
Let me tell you what's going to happen to you, oh great high priest. Your wife's going to be a prostitute? I don't recommend using that in any political discourse. This is definitely a word specifically to Amaziah. This is not a word we're supposed to like replicate and say to everybody. Everybody got that? All right. Yes. <clears throat> and then God gives the fourth vision. Look to Amos chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. This is what the sovereign Lord showed me. A basket of ripe fruit. What do you see, Amos? He asked. A basket of ripe, ripe fruit, I replied. I answered. Then the Lord said to me, The time is ripe for my people Israel. I will spare them no You see how the third and the fourth visions go together. The people have been measured against God's plumb line and they have been found crooked. The response of their priest, their so-called religious leader to God's word, is to choose to not listen. Therefore, the people of Israel are right. God will spare them no longer. Now, I want to be very clear. I've made parallels between the northern kingdom of Israel and the United States today. I'm not suggesting that God's judgment is going to come in the next year. I'm not, I don't know, okay? What I'm trying to do is show you the parallels. At the very least, the parallels should make us sit up and take note. Yes? Yes. But notice I'm not saying... And now God's going to destroy America. I'm not saying that. I don't know what God's plans are. I'm working on what I have from God. And what I have from God concerns me. The wall's crooked. The wall's crooked is what I'm seeing. Are you seeing it? And now listen to God's pronouncement of what he will do to Israel because they are ripe for judgment. Again, listen for the repetition of what Amos has said before about the rich taking advantage of the poor. In that day, declares the sovereign Lord, the songs in the temple will turn to wailing. Many, many bodies flung everywhere. Silence. Hear this, you who trample the needy and do away with the poor of the land saying, When will the new moon be over that we may sell grain, and the Sabbath be ended that we may market wheat? Skimping the measure, boosting the price, and cheating with dishonest scales. Buying the poor with silver and the needy with a, for a pair of sandals. Selling even the sweepings with the wheat. The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, I will never forget anything they have done. Will not the land tremble for this? And all who live in it mourn. The whole land will rise like the Nile. It will be stirred up and then sink into the river of Egypt. In that day, declares the sovereign Lord, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your religious feasts into mourning and all your singing into weeping. I will make all of you wear sackcloth and shave your heads. I will make that time like mourning for an only son and the end of it like a bitter day. The days are coming, declares the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land. Not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. 
Men will stagger from sea to sea and wander from north to east, searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. In that day, the lovely young women and strong young men will faint because of thirst. They who swear by the shame of Samaria or say, as surely as your God lives, O Dan, or as surely as the God of your sheep lives, they will fall never to rise again. And that prophecy came true precisely 38 years later. 722 B.C., the northern kingdom of Israel fell to the Assyrians. They were sent away, they were destroyed, and I'm not kidding you, we have never heard from them again. 2,700 years later, and we do not know where the ten tribes of Israel are. God has brought his accusation against this crooked nation, and he has found them right for judgment. Visions 3 and 4. And now, the fifth and final vision. This vision stands on its own. It does not have a parallel. It stands on its own as the final statement from the Lord of judgment. Amos chapter 9, verses 1 through 10. I saw the Lord standing by the altar, and he said, Strike the tops of the pillars so that the thresholds shake. Bring them down on the heads of all the people. Those who are left I will kill with the sword. Not one will get away, none will escape. Though they dig down to the depths of the grave, from there my hand will take them. Though they climb up to the heavens, from there I will bring them down. Though they hide themselves on the top of Mount of Carmel, there I will hunt them down and seize them. Though they hide from me in the bottom of the sea, there I will command the serpent to bite them. Though they are driven into exile by their enemies, there I will command the sword to slay them. I will fix my eyes upon them for evil and not for good. The Lord, the Lord Almighty, who, he who touches the earth and it melts, and all who live in it mourn. The whole land rises like the Nile, then sinks like the river of Egypt. He who builds his lofty palace in the heavens and sets its foundations on the earth, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out over the face of the land. The Lord is his name. Are not you Israelites the same to me as the Cushites, declares the Lord? Did I not bring Israel up out of Egypt, the Philistines from Kaphtor, and the Arameans from Kerr? Surely the eyes of the sovereign Lord are on the sinful kingdom. I will destroy it from the face of the earth. Yet I will not totally destroy the house of Jacob, declares the Lord. For I will give the command, and I will shake the house of Israel among all the nations, as grain is shaken in a sieve, and not a pebble will reach the ground. All the sinners among my people will die by the sword, all who say, all who say, disaster will not overtake or meet us. Those are difficult words for us to hear. This is probably why most preachers don't preach at Amos. Anybody heard of Sermon in Amos lately? Besides mine. 
Here's a fact of Amos. You ready for this fact? There is a point at which God reaches the end of mercy and judgment becomes real. The church today doesn't like to talk about divine rejection. And for good reason. Our God is a God of love and compassion and mercy and patience. We look at Jesus, we look at the cross, and we see a God who's willing to sacrifice his own son for us. Praise God. Praise God. And we look at verses like in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and generous God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. And then we read in the New Testament, things like Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love that God, for the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we say, Amen. God is love. So, how do we make sense of this in Amos? One option is to ignore that Amos is in the Bible. It is the option taken by most Christians today. That is a poor option. Okay? Is that okay? Don't ignore Amos. It's a poor option to do that. See, we read in Amos, we read this, Amos chapter 8, verse 2. What do you see, Amos, he asked. I have a basket of ripe fruit, I answered. Then the Lord said to me, the time is right for my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. You guys, that's the words of God. Not just the word of God. Those are literally God's words. I will spare them no longer. There comes a point when God will spare them no longer. You guys, we have to say that. We have to say that. Because, by the way, I read Exodus 34, 6. Could I read Exodus 34, 6 and 7? Would that be okay? We like Exodus 34, 6. Let me read Exodus 34, 6 and 7. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet, he does not leave the guilty unpunished. We've got to preach. We've got to live all of the Word of God. And I read for you from Romans chapter 8. Could I go back to Romans and also show you something? Romans chapter 1, verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. You guys... It's both. Our God is a God of love and justice. Make no mistake about that. 
But most Christians today, if you ask them, if you ask them this simple question, they would get it wrong. Here's the question. Is God's love greater than his justice? Most Christians today would say, yes, God's love is greater than his justice. That is false. God is infinite. So let me help you make sense of this. It is impossible for God, who is infinite, to have a finite attribute. So, here's how it works. If God is an ounce of anything, He is an infinite amount of that thing. So, is God love? Yes! God is infinite love. Is God justice? Yes! An infinite justice. God is not the bearer of partial attributes. If he was, he would no longer be God. He's infinite in every attribute. We suffer from bad theology much of the time. Don't we? See, if you've been taught that God is more love than justice, that's called bad theology. Bad theology leads toward crazy stuff up to and including crooked walls. God is infinitely both. But I am glad that Amos does not end at verse 10. There's one little thing at the end, just a little postscript, a PS, at the end of this letter. And am I ever glad that it doesn't end at verse 10. Amos chapter 11 through 15. In that day, I will restore David's fallen tent. I will repair its broken places, restore its ruins, and build it as it used to be, so that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations that bear my name, declares the Lord, who will do these things. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman and the planter by the one treading grapes. New wine will drip from the mountains and flow from all the hills. I will bring back my exiled people Israel. They will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They will plant vineyards and drink their wine. They will make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant Israel in their own land, never again to be uprooted. From the land I have given them, says the Lord your God. You understand that the church today is the recipient of that blessing. As were the people of Israel, when they were restored from agriculture. There is always, always hope in the Lord. But make no mistake, God will judge. Let me say it differently. It might sound familiar. Make no mistake, God is a roaring lion who judges, punishes, and destroys prideful, sinful nations. Also make no mistake, 
Sin is willful disobedience against God. And God warned these people through famine, plague, and war, yet they did not return to Him. Someone needs to speak the truth in love. And Amos was that someone for his time. You know, God invites us to seek Him and live. We are to uphold justice. The rich should not take advantage of the poor. And those who worship when they are doing those things, their worship is detestable to God. And there is great danger in complacency and pride, both for the individual and for the nation. God's people should pray for those who are far from God. We are the intercessors. We need to pray and perhaps God will relent. But never forget, God is both love and justice. And he will not let the guilty go unpunished. But he will save a remnant of those who are faithful to him. Thank you, God, for your word. Oh, how easy it would be, Lord, to only read the passages of Scripture that make our hearts warm. How easy would it be to only focus on your love and to leave the rest of it behind. But God, we don't want to do that. We do not want to be a people, Lord, who only talk about your love, who do not talk about your justice. But equally so, we do not want a people who only talk about your justice, but do not talk about your love. We must be a people who are willing to speak the full truth of God in love, that people might be saved from the coming destruction. Thank you, God, for your word and names. And now, Lord, as we prepare to fellowship together over a meal, thank you for the food and for the hands that prepared it. May our fellowship time be sweet. May we be connected and bound together as a church as we eat together. God, we love you. I pray for our nation. I pray that the crooked walls would once again be measured against your own. And it might be difficult, Lord, to break some of those walls that were built crooked, but we must, we must speak the truth in love. In Jesus' name, all God's people said,